Hello everybody, how you doing today? My name's Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And, uh, yeah, I still kind of have a cold, so my voice is still a little messed up, but I'm feeling a lot better, and, yeah, today we're going to be talking about Santa. So, why are we talking about Santa? Well, it's obvious, it's uh, Christmas Eve, and happy Christmas and happy New Year to everybody who's listening, and happy everything that you... Chris Mahana Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. And if you don't celebrate, just throw a party, for goodness sakes. Life's too short. Have a party. I, I don't care if you have a Festivus pole or a Christmas tree. Throw a party. Invite some friends over. Do something. Have, have a ball. But I wanted to talk about Santa. <laughs> Because I don't think, especially when it comes to adulthood, we ever really have any serious conversations about old St. Nick. And I think a lot of that boils down to the fact that we have a bizarre, just insane obsession with adulthood in our culture and defining what is and is not proper adult etiquette. And if I ever have any effect on the nature of this country or the world or any community that I can get my hands on, that would be to stop people from using the term childish in a bad way. Because I, I'm sick and tired of it. Kids are kids because they're young. They have a lot of innocence and naivete because they have not lived that long. But I don't see any great value in cynicism and just being completely jaded by the world around us. So many people want to show that the mark of adulthood is that cynicism that we finally get and we realize everything's terrible and that's it. The level to which we are jaded and or cynical has nothing to do with our adulthood. In fact, to me, the only real metric for adulthood is how much responsibility we take for our own lives. If you take responsibility for your own life, you are acting like an adult. If you take no responsibility for your own life, then, okay, fine, we'll call you childish because you don't believe in responsibility. But innocence is such a wonderful thing, and it's something that we should encourage to have, ourselves to have, even if we have to pretend. And one of the greatest things about the holiday season for me is Santa Claus. Why? Because everyone has their own Santa Claus. Everyone has their own image in their own mind of who old Saint Nick is. And whenever we talk about Kris Kringle, those ideas come up. 
So when we, as adults, try to talk about Santa, we're often looked at as weird because surely you don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. Well, why not? Why not? Even if it's something as simple as the secret Santa that we do at work, well, that's a form of Santa. And I don't find any discussion over whether the any character from any mythic source or any legendarium is real or not. I, I don't find that helpful or fruitful at all. You see, a mythical character does not have to be real to have a real effect on the world. Mythical lies about ethnic heritage have destroyed entire countries and brought the world to the brink of ruin. And they didn't exist. They had no basis in reality. But all thought forms have power. Even if we're not talking about like some kind of weird spooky power, they can actually have a power in the real world. Because those things that we believe in shape our attitudes, and the, those attitudes shape our actions. So, in that way, it doesn't matter how real something is. Many a cult leader has brought down many a person because somewhere along the way, somebody believed something that wasn't true. And I'm not saying that that justifies their actions. What I'm trying to say is you have to understand that reality, the actual tangible reality of something, is not what gives its power gives it power. It's belief that often gives things power. Okay? Entire countries are built off of the idea that that country should exist. And as long as you have faith that that country should exist, that country will exist. You see that faith getting shaken in the 1800s, and oh, look, in 1860, a whole bunch of people decide to start shooting at each other. And thus, the 1860s become known as the Civil War. And there we go. And it's all over an idea. You can say that it was over this thing or that thing or the other thing. It was actually all about ideas. And every person who went out there probably had their own idea as to why they were fighting. And this, to me, is the power of old Saint Nick. Whether or not you cultivate a belief in him or not. And that is what you're doing in any of these situations. You're cultivating either the belief in a thing or you're cultivating the belief away from the thing. There really is little neutrality there unless it's just something you've never heard of. That's the only way you're actually having a neutral effect on a thing. Santa Claus has become and will, at least for the United States for the time being, a representation of all of our highest ideals. What are the things that we desire most? And if you don't believe me, this is where looking at the history of Santa Claus in the United States really will show you the zeitgeist of the country at that point in time. For us, our story is going to begin in 1823, on December 23rd of that year, when the Sentinel in Troy, New York, published a story called 
A Visit from St. Nicholas. You probably know this story better as The Night Before Christmas. In fact, in our house, we still read it every year on Christmas Eve. I want to start here because this is kind of the first real gelling in the public consciousness in the Americas of the character of Saint Nick. And we get our almost complete classical view, classic view of him as a jolly old elf, right? With a bowl of jelly for a belly chubby and plump, you know, the beard, the reindeer, we get the reindeer's names of Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen and Comet and Cupid and Donder and Blixen. But yeah, these are the stories that start us off. And this Saint Nick gives gifts. He makes people happy. He cares about what's good and what's wholesome. And the whole point of the story is a family affair. St. Nick is here in this story with the kids in their beds, sleeping, and everything. <laughs> you know, it, it really does tell us a lot about our own view of ourself. And so, here we are, looking at this 1823 version of Santa Claus. And he's actually referred to as an elf. He's not human. He's a magical creature. He comes to the house. He leaves his presence. He flies up through the chimney and away he goes. Merry Christmas to all and all a good night. He is a little very little distinct between this St. Nicholas and the stories, the old stories about the brownies and the kobolds and all of the other creatures that would roam about your house while you slept, taking care of things for you. These are characters that have been with us forever. But it's very homey and it's very warm and it's very refreshing because we see this beautiful display of family. And thus, this is what our first image of St. Nicholas is. In the early 20th century, the writer who gave us the wonderful World of Oz writes, wrote a book called The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus in 1902, which brought the idea to a lot more people. He names him. He creates this idea of him being immortal. He puts him in the Laughing Valley of Ho-Ha-Ho. A more Frank Baum idea I've ever heard. Again, we have the story of the reindeer. And why is he here? He is here to make sure that childhood is happy. That's the whole point of him. To make childhood happy. And this is an important time for people to be thinking about this. I mean, the labor laws that restricted children from being in the workforce, you know, the entire idea of childhood was new to America. If you were old enough to work, you worked. And that may be around the house, that may be on the family farm, that may be going down into the coal mine, which they did make kids do. So here we are 
as we're just starting to develop an idea of childhood and what it means to be a child. And we have the creator of the Wizard of Oz giving us this immortal Saint Nick whose entire job is to make sure that a child's childhood is happy. An idea that, for the most part, will stay with the character throughout its history as he continues to develop. Now, the most famous one, and usually where people start their story about St. Nicholas, which is why I wanted to make sure we started two back, was that in the 1930s, Hayden Suddenblom created the now famous, or almost infamous, Coca-Cola Santa Claus where we get to see the Santa as we know him, with the red nose and the cheeks and the beard and the red suit. And why red? Because those are Coca-Cola's colors, of course. He's a brand icon for the soft drink. And yes, true, but he had existed prior to that. And roughly around the same time, you have other institutions starting to use the image of Santa Claus to help bolster their charity activities. You see, Santa had gone mainstream. Santa was now in the consciousness of everyone, and so anytime a character goes mainstream, you see everybody trying to get their hands on it, lay claim to it, stake their position in the cultural mythos. Don't believe me? What happens every time a Star Wars movie comes out? Everyone and their cousin is clamoring right? To be the official fast food place where you can get your Star Wars beverage cup. Who's Everybody's got their various shirts and the toy manufacturers are fighting for the toys. People are making their videos on the YouTube and putting out their podcasts like this one, talking about what they thought about the movie and tweeting and tumbling and Facebooking and all the things. Because a big moment has happened in the culture, and we as a culture have to talk about it. What happened when Infinity War came out? Same thing. You see, Santa Claus was breaking into the mainstream. More people are talking about this wonderful jolly old elf. People are telling their stories about him, and the cultural mythos is growing, it's developing. He's becoming an American icon. And along with that development... We start seeing Santa Claus appearing in department stores and on various beverage logos as they're trying to say, look, no, we're jolly. We are here for the goodness and the virtue that the character of Santa represents. They're wanting to take part in the mythos. And we'll talk about that a little bit more after the break. And we're back. So we've talked about Santa Claus up until the point where he starts being glommed on by every faction that wants to have their brand connected to this new folk icon that's taking the nation by storm. Then you start thinking about the depictions that come afterwards from the miracle on 34th Street, which starts questioning the idea of believing in anything as we are, as a culture, being disillusioned from everything. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Time goes on, we have the Rankin and Bass animated specials where we get to meet Rudolph. And 
the abominable snowman, and all the others. We see the Isle of Misfit Toys, which has become such an important milestone and part of the mythos that you can just say that you feel like you're on the Isle of Misfit Toys, and people understand what you're saying, because it's part of the story. You see, Santa accepts even the misfits. This is a very important message in the 60s. Santa accepts everyone, even the misfits. 60s, the 70s, here even the misfits are getting included in. The story of Santa grows. And with each iteration, with each telling of the story, I mean, we have the divorced father becoming Santa Claus in the Santa Claus movies, right? That's incorporating new ideas into the character of St. Nick, turning him into a contract, which is, well, how American is that for the Tim Allen movies? DreamWorks gives us the Russian superhero version of him in The Rise of the Guardians. Why? Because now we're interested in superheroes, so why wouldn't Santa and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy all be superheroes? And Mother Earth and Father Time and, yeah, all of them, superheroes. Yeah, that makes sense, because that's how we are expressing ourselves culturally right now at this moment. And that's the thing that we don't allow ourselves to accept anymore. We talk about Santa Claus as if Santa is something for kids, or Santa's this, or Santa's that. Santa is part of our cultural heritage. Whether you like that or not, that's up to you, but Santa teaches us some very important things. And not just the moral life lessons that come from, you know, learning to be good because he's making a list and he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. No, it's not just from those basic moral things. The, just the very idea of Santa and the varying depictions of Santa, from Elf and the Santa Claus and this new thing that Netflix did, the Santa Claus Chronicles, which I haven't seen yet, and I'm debating whether or not I want to see. Right, Every iteration of the character tells us something very important about ourselves. But asking... Do, do we believe in Santa? Should we believe in Santa? Yes. And for a very simple reason. At some point, we have to learn that intangible ideas can have tangible impact on the world. We need to learn that the quality of the things that we believe in matters. And a character like Santa Claus, a cultural character like Santa Claus, is a... Has, I remember when I was a little kid, Santa was one of the reasons I didn't steal. Like, literally, I thought about it. I remember really thinking about it, but it was close to Christmas, and I didn't want to lose my presents, so I didn't. But beyond that, learning about Santa and how the Santa story works teaches us how ideas inform our everyday life. You see, whether or not you think it's good or bad to talk about the character of Santa Claus, the ever-evolving character of Santa Claus, who develops and grows as our culture develops and grows, the character will always be there. 
It's like Krampus. Krampus appeared to have gone away. We stopped talking about Krampus and Black Peter and all of the other characters that in other cultures occurred around St. Nick. And of course, as time goes on, they spring back to life. And we talk about them again and whether they're good, they're bad, they're ugly, they're wrong, blah, 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 blah. And again, they'll fade away until a little while later they become fashion again. Or they'll stay with us in whatever newly revised form they take. Because that's how all of this really works. Mythos is the heart of culture. It's what tells us who we are. And it's how we tell others who we are. See, in real life, we do not submit to culture as much as we participate with it. In choosing to dress the way we dress, we are costuming ourselves in the nature that we want to be seen in. See, our culture dictates that if you dress this certain way, you will be perceived that, that certain way. And I want to be perceived that way, so I'm going to dress that way. And thus, there we go. You see, all culture, all life is performative. Whether you want it to be or not, it is by its very nature. If you want to make sure that somebody knows that you love them, you have to show them that you love them. You can't just expect them to spontaneously know. You have to tell them you do the little nice things and so on and so forth, right? And we forget that this performative nature goes to everything. Santa Claus is one of the greatest parts of our performative culture in that we put on the beard, we put on the red hat, we give him gifts, we bring joviality into our lives. We bring humor into our lives, we bring presence and gift giving and caring about others. And when we may not even take the time to think about what's right and wrong, for just a brief little moment we think about that with St. Nicholas. And thus here we are performing this character over and over again every year and that's how it stays fresh that's why unlike a lot of people i love christmas carols and i love them because every year they remind me of what i'm doing this time of year i am performing christmas and you may not want to perform christmas perform whatever you want but for me they remind me you know you don't laugh as much as you used to. You should laugh more. You don't smile as much as you used to. You should smile more. You should make sure that you're bringing cheer to other people. You should make sure you do that. That's important. It reminds me of all the little things that throughout the year I get distracted from. And occasionally, thanks to the performative mythos of various other holidays, I am reminded periodically, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to be making sure that I'm talking to other people, that I'm bringing joy into the world, that I'm making people laugh. It's a minor thing, but it's an important one. And it's one that we forget. And I'm not trying to say, don't try to twist my words, that without Santa Claus, we wouldn't have any of those things, joviality, camaraderie, gift giving, no, we would find an excuse for those things no matter what, because that's who we are as humans. You can go to any culture that doesn't have a Christmas, and 
they have a Christmas. It's just different. Every culture seems to have some festival wherewith they give each other gifts for some reason. Because that's who we are. That's what we are as a people. That's what we are as a human species. We're givers. And while you might think it's cheesy or corny for somebody like me to tell you that, yes, I believe in Santa Claus, and you might want to call me crazy for saying something like that, understand what I mean when I say that. Every year I perform Santa Claus. Every year I take on the spirit of old Saint Nick. I decorate my house with the holly and the berries and the mistletoe and the tinsel and the lights. And this is completely separate from my religious experience of the holiday, because I have one of those too, but that's not for this podcast. There are Santa Clauses all over my house. I collect them. Why? Because they're totemic. They remind me to perform Saint Nick. And so I do. And I invite you to try it as well. Participate in your own culture, whatever that culture may be. And for us here in the United States, this time of year, our culture is good old Sinterklaas. Chris Kringle, that jolly old elf. And remember, it's the participation that gives it meaning. Nothing has meaning in and of itself. Only when we participate and take part in it. Now would be a very good time for me to remind you, if you can rate this episode, ah, see what I did there, in whatever app you're listening to me on, either this episode or this series, please do that. That helps me out a lot. Tells the algorithms they should share me with other people. If you have a dollar you could throw my way, hey, it's Christmas. Either hit the support button or in the show notes there's a link that says support on Anchor. If you click that, you can help me out a lot. It means the world to me. If you can't, just share the podcast with some people. Spread the word. That really would make me very happy. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'm sorry I couldn't help but throw that in right there. I'm going to take tomorrow off. Tomorrow's Christmas. I'm not going to work on Christmas. I thought about pre-recording an episode to put out, and maybe next year. Oh be more organized and do it well ahead of time, just in case I get a cold like I did this year. Hopefully, by the 26th, I'll be feeling better. I am planning on doing an episode for the 26th, so look forward to that. I know a lot of shows are going on hiatus right now because it's the end of the year, but, you know, I had a mental crisis hiatus for all of November. I don't think I need another vacation for a while, and i got a lot I want to talk about. So... Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happiness. I hope none of the words that I've said have offended you, but the whole point of everything that I do is to bring a smile to your face, and I hope that I do that. You know, it's not just a slogan that I put on this podcast that I'm here to reveal unseen wonder. It's a mission statement. Every episode I try to think to myself, what can I reveal here? What can I go into that, at least for me, makes me go, wow, or huh, because that's the emotion that I want to develop, and hopefully I'm doing that for you. I want to thank you for everything that you all do for me. It's amazing. I mean, you are great, 
and I'm very thankful for you. I wish I had a better gift for you this holiday season, but all I can give you is my sheer thanks for listening to me and supporting me through everything that we've been through together. And I'm looking forward to a new year. I really am. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to submit, please download the Anchor app at anchor.fm. Follow me, Project Shadow, on Anchor. And you'll see a little button that says voice message. You click that, you leave me up to a one-minute message, keep it clean. It be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like me to discuss in the show. I love getting those. And I've done entire episodes based on them. So definitely do that in future. If you ever get a hankering, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm C.E. Dorset. You can find a link to all of my social media accounts over at ProjectShadow.com. I think that's it. Hopefully I'll be feeling better the next time you hear my voice. And I say it at the end of every episode, but I really do mean it, especially this time of year. Have the fun. Until next time. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and I'll talk to you soon.